glossary of plough stories by clara d pearson this librivox recording is in the public domain glossary axle the bar connecting the opposite wheels of a carriage wagon or implement bait kettle a strong iron kettle standing on short stumpy legs it was set among hot coals and covered by a strong metal cover on which coals were laid bread and other food were baked in it bed cord the long rope which was laced back and forth between the head and the footboards of a bed and between the two sideboards it held the great ticks or bags filled with straw or feathers on which people slept there were no bed springs in the olden days birch broom a broom such as the indians made by whittling one end of a birch sapling into fine flat strips and fastening them together into a rude broom the other end of the six-foot section of the sapling was whittled and smoothed into shape as a handle coulter a cutter attached to the plough beam to cut the turf coulters used to be straight but now they are often sharp-edged small discs called rolling coulters coyote a prairie wolf charger a contrivance for measuring and placing in a gun a certain quantity or charge of powder or shot chilled ploughshares ploughshares and mouldboards of iron are chilled in the casting by having a place in the mould filled with very cold water this makes them harder and better able to stand the scratching of sandy or stony soil it makes them wear longer rust less and scour better where the soil is not sandy it is better to use steel ploughs about half of the farm lands in the united states are sandy crane a swinging iron arm with a hook at the end fastened to the side of the fireplace a kettle could be hung on the hook while the crane was swung out into the room it could then be pushed back to bring the kettle over the fire before this was invented by a yankee all kettles were hung from hooks fixed in the top of the fireplace and cooking was much more difficult first day the quaker name for sunday flint and steel the materials used for over two hundred years for making fire a piece of steel was struck on a piece of flint and when a spark flew off it was caught on a piece of tinder anything which could blaze easily old linen was most often used for tinder and every scrap of it was carefully saved for this purpose the early settlers tried never to let their fires go out because it was so hard to light them again gang plough a plough which has several bottoms so arranged as to turn several furrows at once hummus rotting vegetation like grass weeds or grain stubble which makes the soil richer and is food for growing plants of all kinds jointer a small metal point which is so placed as to turn a small furrow on top of the big furrow slice so that when this slice is turned over the sod stubble etc may be turned to the bottom of the furrow land side the flat side of the plough which presses against the unploughed land Mouldboard, the curving part of a plough, which is just back of the share or cutting part. It turns over the furrow slice. Pate, the French word for pie. Pelt, the skin of a beast with the hair on. 
plough beam, the horizontal part of a plough frame by which it is drawn, ploughshare, that part of a plough which cuts the ground at the bottom of the furrow and raises the slice to the mould-board, porringers, shallow circular discs of different sizes with a single flat handle projecting from the upper edge, powder-horn, an old-fashioned contrivance for carrying gunpowder, it was usually made from the horn of an ox or cow, the larger end fitted with a metal or wooden bottom, and the small end with a movable stopper or a device for measuring out the charge of powder. Prairie chicken, a kind of grouse which lives on the prairies of the central and western states and is much hunted for food. Punchins, slabs split from tree trunks, and with one or both sides smoothed with the axe or hatchet. They are used for flooring, where it is impossible to get sawed lumber. Punchins are laid directly on a floor of beaten earth and rock, more or less when walked upon. Scour. A plough is said to scour well, when the soil does not stick to it but drops away from it, leaving it all the smoother and brighter for having been drawn through the earth. There was a time when ploughs were not expected to scour, and farmers carried paddles, along with which to clear away the clinging earth. Settle, a bench with high back and arms, and long enough for two or more people. Sometimes the seat was hinged and formed the cover of a fair-sized chest. Stubble plough. Before people had their present fine implements, they had different ways of ploughing stubble under. Sometimes heavy chains were dragged ahead of the plough to break it, and some stubble ploughs had small rollers in front of the shares to crush the stubble so that it could be turned under more easily. Tamp. To pack by frequent gentle strokes, as when making loose damp sand into a firm hard mould thatch a roof covering of straw or reeds which is used in place of shingles it is often held in place by long poles which weigh it down thongs strips of leather used for fastening traction engine this is the name commonly given to the large slowly moving engines which are used to run threshing machines and other heavy farm machinery and travel along country highways on their broad rough-rimmed wheels usually drawing a water tank on wheels behind them the smaller gasoline engines which draw implements or heavy loads behind them are commonly spoken of as tractors warping twisting or being twisted out of shape withes slender easily bent twigs or branches used as fastening or woven together into baskets daniel webster daniel webster who was born in seventeen eighty two was such a sickly little boy that he was unable to work and he was encouraged to play out of doors fishing watching the wild creatures and riding horseback when his father ploughed when he could go to school it was to a schoolhouse built of logs and he had very poor teachers Riding was very hard for him, and he used to say that he thought his fingers were meant to guide the plough instead of the pen. Still he cared so much about becoming an educated man that he would walk nearly three miles to school in winter whenever he was allowed to. When he grew up, he had a fine, strong body, 
and an especially fine chest, and he lived to a good old age. As a boy, he was laughed at for being awkward and wearing poor clothes. As a man, he was one of the greatest American statesmen and a wonderful public speaker. He had a beautiful great home in Marshfield, Massachusetts, where his famous friends often came to visit him. He was a great lover of nature, and was nearly always up early enough in the morning to see the sunrise over the Atlantic Ocean. His farm was beside the ocean, and he worked often in the fields. He was very fond of oxen, and raised many of them, being very proud of his finely matched pears. When he was an old, old man too sick to go out into the fields, he had the oxen brought into his front yard to graze, so that he might see them from his window. It is good to remember that all his wonderful successes in Washington, where people pointed him out to strangers as one of the greatest men in America, never made him lose interest in his farm, his neighbors, or the simple little pleasures of life. Jethro Wood Jethro Wood was born in Dartmouth, Massachusetts in 1774, but moved to Scipio, New York, when grown to manhood. When working on his wooden models, he was nicknamed the Whittling Yankee. He was not the first man to make a cast-iron plow in the United States, but he was the first to patent one and make it practical, and to get iron plows into general use. Plows had not improved in the early days of our country because England would not permit her colonies to have factories. In 1796, Charles Newbold, a farmer of Bennington, Vermont, made a cast-iron plow and used it, but he seems to have made no effort to share the results of his discovery with other people. Over in England, also, men were trying to make cast-iron plows. Farmers were afraid to use them at first, for they said that they would poison the soil so that good seed would not grow in it. Jethro Wood was a man who worked hard and was not afraid to be made fun of and to stand the loss of friends and money because he saw what it would mean to America to have good plows. He might have lived an easy lazy life, for he had plenty of money. Instead of that, he worked hard, going into foundries to help cast his plows, and improving his invention until he was able to patent a plow made of many different castings fastened together. That was a good thing, because when the plow broke in use, the farmer did not have to buy a whole new one, but only a part. Jethro Wood was a man honored and respected by statesmen and kings. Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence, was interested in plows and exchanged letters with him. But Jefferson did not see how necessary it was to have plows of different shapes for different kinds of soil, so his own experiments did not always turn out well. He helped Jethro Wood by liking him and believing in him, but he could not improve plows as Wood could. End of Glossary End of Plow Stories by Clara D. Pearson